So, uh, we're going to continue. We talked about last week about um, incorporating prayer into the daily life of the church, which is the foundation for fruit bearing, right? That nothing, uh, no fruit is produced without God's sovereign, sovereignty and guidance and providence. Uh, no fruit is born outside of uh, the prayers of the saints incorporating uh, into their lives of crying out to God for that fruit and for that increase. So to just review the statements, we said corporate prayer is a necessary prerequisite for visitation and effective evangelism, right? So part of uh, our ideas in going out and evangelizing isn't just that, like, I just don't want to go out and share the gospel and uh, for the next 60 years, hopefully, and not be effective. I can't look at the, if I got about 60 years left. Uh, I can't go and be like, yeah, I've been preaching the gospel for 60 years. Oh, how many people have you uh, made disciples of? Oh, one. <laughs> like, that's not a, that wouldn't be considered effective, right? So we're looking at effective strategies, and corporate prayer is necessary for that. Uh, and that corporate prayer is the catalyst to visitation and effective evangelism. It's not just the prerequisite, but it's also the catalyst, as we saw. Uh, and that... Operation Reconciliation, where we're studying, is designed for a praying church. Um, so as we were, uh, I'll just finish this section real quick before I say anything. So defining and rethinking prayer. Uh, prayer is a dynamic interplay between God and us, whereby his purposes are born, grown, and established. And uh, to his purpose, thy kingdom come, you know, his will be done on earth, which include reconciliation, redemption, restoration of an individuals, churches, families, cultures, and all the earth, right? So we talked about uh, a little bit last week about um, effective prayer and the need for it, but we didn't, like, so today we're going to talk about, like, what should we be praying for? How should we be praying? We're going to talk about, uh, this is called either five or seven types of prayer, depending on how you want to look at it. But it could be 12, it could be 15. <laughs> it's really hard to divide the means by the, uh, by the types and whatnot. So... Uh, it was originally five, well, it was originally three, then it was five, now it's seven, uh, it could be 12, you know, any one of the biblical numbers, but we'll try to confine it to seven. Um, so, I hope, like we all, hopefully between last week, we understand that like we've got uh, you guys in the single brothers household at the campus house, uh, you guys get together like pretty faithfully every, every weekday for like 30 minutes, an hour, right? Uh, and then the Red House, Red Hot House, sorry. Uh, you guys get together every morning for like 30 minutes or an hour or something, right? Uh, and then we pray on Fridays for a couple hours. Uh, then there's individual prayers. You guys, your household gets together and prays regularly, right? Every day or something like that, right? Every other day. Every other day. And uh, individuals pray probably somewhat regularly, if not before every meal. And uh, that's a lot of prayer, right? But uh, it could be totally ineffective and, and useless. <laughs> you know, what we looked at last week, if you don't know the will of God, if uh, you're not praying in right attitudes and spirits, and uh, if you don't, like if you're praying uh, unbiblical things, un-God-desiring things, and if you don't know what those are, then you could be totally wasting your life praying. <laughs> so that's what we're here, we're here to find out. Uh, we looked at that a little bit last week towards the end. 
But we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper today in a short period of review, and then we'll get actually into the uh, five or seven types of prayer. Uh, so, you know, and for whom, what, and how should we pray? Uh, without looking at the paper, if no one's looked, like, what's our, what's our three ministries as Christians? I know Josiah can spout this off, probably, right? Yeah. What's our ministries? Uh, to- Good job, Josiah. Stealing a show. Right? Uh, our first ministry is to God, to worship Him, like to have no other gods before Him. Our second is to our neighbors directly in front of us, particularly the family and body of believers inside our local church, and then the church universal, and then the outside world, right? To non believers. That's pretty much how uh, our ministries could be divided up pretty easily and systematically, right? So, uh, when we get into prayer, like our first, you know, we're first praying uh, not for God, like, Lord, uh, I hope that you and pray that you would uh, help yourself to have better attitudes <laughs> or something, right? That's how we pray for other, uh, or we could pr- pray for other believers or the outside world, right? We pray. So, so we're going to look at the types of prayer, which are like reading scripture and praise and worship as a type of prayer, which is our ministry to God, right? Then... Uh, to the church, you know, we're looking at our prior- priorities and prioritizing, you know, within Grace Christian Fellowship and Rock Campus Fellowship, other churches, and then, you know, all Christians. Uh, you know, Colossians 1 9, 1 9, Paul says, like, I thank you always in my prayers, always when I pray, you know, being reminded of the things that uh, he's witnessed and heard of from the church at uh, Colossae. And Ephesians 6.18 says the same thing, like make, gives Paul's given a mandate to make prayers and intercessions or supplications for the saints always. Uh, and something just doing in, you know, research for this. Um, if someone wants to open up to uh, 1 Timothy, we'll do this a little bit more systematically in reading, but if someone wants to read 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 5. It's about widows. Qualifications for widows. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you were a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and all purification and prayers day and night. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, so those qualifications that Paul sets up for like people who can receive uh, you know, a type of welfare or uh, monetary gain from the church and you know it has to be like a true widow, right? And one of those qualifications is that she offers up supplications for the saints day and night, <laughs> right? Like that devoted to God uh, and comes out in, in prayer, right? So that's how important this is. Uh, and then our ministry to the lost, um, you know, uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world. And then we got First Timothy 2, 1 through 5. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There's one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. So, uh, he's saying that for, for everybody. Make prayers, supplications, thanksgivings, uh, you know, petitions for all people, all realms of authority, you know. Uh, so we should continually, like, we shouldn't expect to have effective evangelism 
biblically if we're not praying that the Lord would guide us and lead us to those people who he's made divine appointments for that would hear the word, uh, experience conviction, uh, repentance, and have faith in Christ and receive new life through the Holy Spirit. Right? We wouldn't expect God to work outside of his, his means. And that's through prayer. Uh, and, you know, the, some of the three times that Paul asked for prayer, he's saying, like, that the word would speed ahead, that the word would go and bring about conviction, that, uh, that he'd be able to speak the word boldly, right? So then for what, that's for who should we pray, right? For whom? Then for what should we pray? So uh, this is still just kind of recapping uh, last week, the priorities within our, our prayer uh, or that, you know, we should have focused uh, in GCF and RCF is, you know, breaking up the, the fallow ground, the hard ground that needs to be broken up in order for us to go out and be effective, you know, in the cultures, the culture that we have, you know, for humility and holiness. Because um, visitation starts with radical confession, repentance, renunciation, and zeal, which we'll look uh, more in kind of patterns of various words. I did uh, include a third sheet staple on the back, which is just I titled uh, examples of effective prayer in scripture and gave like a little gave the scripture verses and this is just like a small selection that I put together in like 15 or 20 minutes or something um, you know especially like Ezra Nehemiah Moses Jonah uh, Abraham not as much David like they all start with like extreme repentance and confession um, and if you can get to the point of Nehemiah's prayer where he says, like, even I have sinned in my father's household uh, and be truthful about it and be led by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> then you're doing pretty good. All right. So for, uh, you know, for humility, holiness, right attitudes, zeal, um, you know, obviously advancing the kingdom, the spiritual climate here at RCF, that uh, the Holy Spirit would be poured out, that we'd change the culture uh, here at Wright State as we go out and evangelize and then, you know, us under a, our American nation. And then, uh, you know, Greg hit on this kind of uh, for a while last week, you know, as he stopped by, you know, praying for the right team, materials, resources, strategies uh, for GCF and RCF. You know, because we have the biblical pattern is just the pattern, right, of what to go off of. Uh, but we're looking at the pattern in uh, first century uh, Greco-Roman culture that's heavily influenced uh, by people who have, you know, especially in the Jewish sect, that have heavily influenced and know scripture from the Old Testament. But uh, though the pattern stays the same, uh, our culture is vastly different. Although we're uh, very Romanized in a lot of ways, uh, we're not living in a culture that's like steeped in Old Testament scriptures that know anything about God. Uh, like, I, t I literally talked to somebody last school year or the school year before, you know, just asking about their worldview that believes that, like, uh, everything has a sexual orientation, including an umbrella. <laughs> I don't know how he, how he got there uh, or why he thinks that, but that was, like, a literal thought that a guy had, and I wasn't steeped and, you know, it wasn't thought about. I don't think he thought about it too deeply. But everything in, in the world, in the created universe, is male or female. And I gave an example of, uh, you know, where, like, he had an umbrella because of the rain. I was like, yeah, this umbrella. I was like, that's probably, like, a male, right? And he's like, yeah. 
<laughs> like, like, where did he have this sense of truth and revelation? Uh, I don't know, but uh, he wasn't basing it in, like, in anything. And maybe if it like opened up, maybe then it's a female. I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say. So, you know, it's it's going to be the same pattern as we go out, but we're going to need like. Uh, you know, divine strategies from the Lord and how to bring the word into culture, how to bring, you know, the law, uh, the law of God into society, into, like, the very fact that, like, people could feel conviction in a relativistic, post-modern, post-Christian world is pretty amazing, would be a miracle of God, because it's literally the, most of the culture out there is do whatever you feel like and don't feel bad for it, whatever that is. Go to any extent. Uh, and that's where the worldview's head. So, uh, you know, really praying for, like, how to do that in our culture, how to bring uh, the truths of God's existence and law and depths of depravity uh, to people who uh, start with rejecting all of that, you know, is, you know, strategy that we need to pray for, um, which is why I love presuppositional apologetics. I think that's a good strategy there. But that's for several weeks from now. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get to actual evangelism someday. Uh, so that was for what should we pray. So how should we pray? We're going to get actually into uh, this teaching today. So uh, and you could look up... Uh, so we're looking at kinds of prayer or means or ways. Like there's things on here that aren't listed. Like if I just run through them real quick, uh, reading scripture, worship, praise, and exaltation, spiritual warfare, and intercession, petition, supplications with thanksgiving. So that's three to five, depending on how you classify it. But uh, I obviously didn't put uh, praying in the spirit. I didn't put corporate prayer in there. That's kind of like assumed by uh, the title uh, of corporate prayer. Um, you know, so there's other modes of prayer that aren't necessarily listed on here. Uh, but, you know, keep in mind that we're looking at a two-way communication. This is, uh, you know, if you look at the kids' version of the New City Catechism that we use on Sunday mornings, uh, what is prayer? Prayer is pouring our hearts out to God. Well, that's a little bit limited because that's a one-way street. But prayer is also that two-way street whereby God also speaks to us, which if you uh, look at most prayers in Scripture, God answers those, those prayers either uh, in federal head covenants to the federal head directly or through prophets or through the Word of God or through uh, other means that God uh, returns and speaks to people, right? So, uh yeah, let's turn over. One page review done. So the first type of prayer uh, I think is foundational and foremost is reading scripture and books that illuminate scripture. Uh, where Byron and I were joking uh, before the Bible study is like, what is a Bible study? Uh, well, it's like one part Bible like five parts opinion <laughs> on and uh, you know or I think you said then then those other Bible studies that that's like a little bit of Bible but then it's uh, books on the Bible right other people's opinions um, 
so, but anyways, uh, like, like probably the foremost way that like anybody, uh, I, I don't know if I should dare say should hear from God is by reading scripture. Uh, like, how do you know, like from a very foundational standpoint, like how do we know what to pray for unless we read it in scripture? Anybody? We wouldn't. I mean, there is a, a very slight chance uh, in reality that the Holy Spirit would move us to pray for things that are biblical, but we wouldn't be assured of those things outside of Scripture, right? So, you know, especially if we're looking at the, how we're defining Scripture as a dynamic interplay between God and us, whereby his purposes are born, grown, and established. So uh, the primary way, if you want to hear from God, uh, read your Bible. <laughs> it's pretty deep, right? Uh, I was just thinking, uh, there's a, I'll probably, I can't think of the exact quote, but there's a famous uh, preacher or somebody, some Bible teacher, uh, might be Matt Chandler, I'm thinking of, that has a quote to the effect of, or, uh, or John Piper, uh, to the effect of, like, uh, you know, if you want to hear from God, uh, you want to hear some great mysteries, you want to hear a revelation, open up your Bible, All right? And not just read it, but meditate on it uh, and reading devotionally. You contemplate and listen. Uh, just like, you know, uh, was it Joshua 1.7 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it then you'll be prosperous and then you'll have good success. Do not fear, do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Uh, so if you look at that and it doesn't say like, do not fear and do not be dismayed, the Lord is with you. Uh, you'll have good success and then read and meditate on scripture, right? Uh, or though if you do go a couple of verses earlier, he does, God does say, be strong and have courage. Uh, but then, uh, you know, encapsulates it by, you know, meditate on scripture. You want to know the Lord deeper? Read your Bible. You want to know his plans? You want to know what it means when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Uh, flesh that out, right? We'll find uh, specific ways to pray, specific ways, uh, you know, as far as like patterns of evangelism and, and everything uh, of the Lord's will uh, as we read scripture. So, you know, the results we get from reading scripture uh, prayerfully, devotionally, you know, contemplatively, systematically, uh, in a way that it actually causes us to read actively. Like, that's the, if I could, like, help anybody at any time ever grow in the Lord, it's just to, like, read scripture actively. And, like, uh, it still happens every time I read the Bible. Uh, there's either a word I don't know or a sentence I don't understand or a concept that I'm not familiar with because I haven't read it that thoroughly and I have to do research. Uh, and then <laughs> what's great is like when you get really into studying the Bible, uh, you want to read like six chapters, but you only get like six verses in because uh, this happened the other day. And I know this has happened to a lot of you guys. Like you open up and you read a scripture and then you, like, you get one verse in and you're just like, man, I wonder what the Greek says. And you get on Blue Letter Bible, and you're like 45 minutes in the Greek, and you're looking at the same word, and you're like, man, I've only read one verse, and it's been like <laughs> 30 minutes. <laughs> right? Uh, 
and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, so the, you know, part of the what we're listing is the five results of reading scripture prayerfully, is uh, you know quieting our hearts. Hebrews four twelve, the word is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Uh, you know, I made it a practice. I don't like. I don't remember if I got suggested this. Uh, and if you want to like really pray actively, and this will take a lot of time, um, I feel, I can't like quantify this. This is impossible for me to actually quantify. I'm just going on faith uh, and experience here. Is I used to read through the Psalms, or I'm sorry, I used to read through the Proverbs. You know, uh, I still have the same pattern of reading one proverb a day according to whatever number of day it is. So today's the 27th, so I was supposed to read Proverbs 27 today, and I still got some time because I haven't read that one today. Uh, but I used to go line by line uh, for every proverb, you know, in every couplet, and pray like it'd be like, uh, you know, like I can't remember uh, what proverb this is. It's like in 16 or something, you know, uh, like a door on its hinges, so it's a sluggard in his bed. I'd be like, Lord, please help me to not be a sluggard and not turn over and fall asleep and be productive. And I'd like, you know, go to the next one and it'd be like, you know, something about like foolish people with their lips. And I'd be like, Lord, I need help. <laughs> and I would like, I would go line by line through the book of Proverbs and it would take an hour or so uh, to just pray through those, those character issues. Because I realized like uh, it was overwhelming majority, like 99 to 100% uh, of those things that I was not, that I should be. And those things that I'm not, the fool, or the things that you're not, or you shouldn't be, the fool, is what I was. And that was like, you know, the mouth of a fool runs into a fight. I could think of most of physical fist fights I've been in is because I mouthed off to somebody. And that's a bad idea when you're skinny and don't know how to fight. <laughs> and don't have any weapons. Uh, and that's very foolish. So I'd have to pray because uh, you'd have to, like, if you read the Proverbs and you think that you're most of those things, then you're probably not really thinking that hard, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, you know, uh, and that's something that I would encourage, like, as you go through Proverbs or you see, like, um, you know, through the Gospels or whatever, like, half of the things that Jesus condemns the Pharisees for, I am. <laughs> like, still thinking of outward appearance and what qualifies merit to people and cleanliness. Like, that's still a struggle even after five years in Christ. Like, I should be perfect by now. So those things are continually have to be contemplated, meditated on, and prayed through. All right, so that's point one of the five. Uh, learning to listen, and learning to listen, a developed skill. Um, so I guess really the only thing, uh, you know, in that is being introspect and learning to, like, really... Uh, if you learn to read actively and meditatively and contemplatively, like if you, you could literally spend four to five hours on one verse and really listen and hear from God and be sensitive uh, opposed to just quickly reading over it, right? So the deeper you get into it, the more you get out of it, right? That's a necessary requirement of you know, getting deeper uh, is you'll know more and you'll get more. Right, because you'll get more dirt the deeper you dig. <laughs> right, the same thing with the word. So, 
you know, really uh, learning and um, how to read actively and a developed skill of hearing from God of like, what should you be looking for? What is the will of God? What is the character of man? What is the uh, depths of God's heart and his grace in various aspects? Uh, you know, is a developed skill. And uh, probably most of you guys have better reading comprehension than I started with when I was converted. But I used to read a chapter of the Bible. I would stop. I'd force myself to stop and say, what did I'd like look up so I wouldn't cheat? And I'd say, like, what was that chapter about? If I could name a couple points, I could follow the storyline if it was a historical book or a theological line if it was an epistle or something. Uh, and if I could name a couple points, I would move on to the next chapter. But if I couldn't, I would literally read a chapter. Uh, I'd look up and I'd be like, okay, I was totally thinking about like something else, so I'll read it again. And I'd read it, and I'd do the same thing. I'd be like, yeah, I still don't get anything out of that one. Uh, and I'd, sometimes I'd read the same chapter four or five times over until I made myself listen to God. I made myself know what I was reading and read actively. So uh, learn to listen. And then humbling ourselves. Uh, James 121, um, just simply that the, the word is a mirror, is a reflection uh, of ourselves. We're supposed to use it as a mirror to see the depths of our heart, the depths of our depravity, and cry out to God. If any of you are reading scripture and feel good about yourself <laughs> afterwards, if it's talking about uh, your own works, your own righteousness, then I don't think you're reading it <laughs> very contemplatively. Think about it a little harder. Uh, so, and then acquiring grace. Uh, I can't remember, uh, or I think it's Acts 20, you know, where, or is it Acts 20 or it might be 19, where I commend you to the word of his grace. I think that's Acts 19 or something where Paul's talking with the shepherds of Ephesus. Is that correct, John Luke? Yes. Uh, he sends, I'm pretty sure it's in this context of where he's saying, I commend you to the word of his grace. Right? So you actually um, acquire more grace uh, as you get deeper and contemplative into Scripture. Uh, it is the primary source of God's grace. You can't know and obey God and acquire uh, more blessings through obedience or know anything about God's character outside of the word. So those are all grace-based things, right? If we read, then we'll know. And then becoming equipped. Uh, all scriptures read that by God and useful for uh, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training the man in righteousness so that he may become equipped for every good work. Right? So that means all scripture uh, is going to, part of the process is, is equipping you uh, for every good work. Right? So... Um, you know, especially if you think of that like meditatively, like one of the processes I try to go through as much as time allows when I'm, you know, reading scripture, and I learned this from someone else, is to like say, uh, how does this exalt God? What does this, or what does this say about God? What does this say about man? And then uh, what does it say about the culture it's in? And then what does it say, how would I utilize that in the culture today? How do I use that in my own personal culture, whether it's something in my own personal life? or family, or how does that apply to the culture I currently live in, right? And those are the kind of things, when you start meditating and thinking on those, would equip you and prepare you, especially as we go out and evangelize, um, to share the gospel with our current culture, right? So if you think on, like, 
you know, the whole tenet of Deuteronomy. I can't remember what chapter it is. You know, he's calling the Israelites uh, to know the law of God, to interpret the law of God for them and how to put it into society, you know. And then he says, you're not going to be like how you were in the past where every man decided what was good and what was evil before themselves, right? That's kind of the culture we live in, right? So the more you read meditatively, the more you're going to become equipped. All right, so let's move on to number two. Uh, the second type or kind of prayer is worship, praise, and exaltation. So I kind of divide that up mentally in my brain of uh, first worship as in like singing songs, right? Uh, but then there's like specifically uh, what you can call praise as well. But then also when you're actually praying, there should be praise and exaltation. So most of the uh, psalms and most of the worship psalms that we sing have some very high degree of like exaltation of like God and his character and his justice and his sovereignty and his goodness and his love in whatever attribute that the song uh, or the psalmist is emphasizing, right? So that's why this could be like divided up into seven or 12 or 50 uh, kinds of prayer because you could say worship is a type of prayer, but also uh, I'm just going to lump that in, exaltation, glorifying God, magnifying him. So let's go this way to Kyle. Um, and let's do, let's read a few of these. Hebrews 13, 15. And then Sam, can you get Psalm 100? And then uh, Sydney, Psalm 22, 3. And that'll kind of uh, encapsulate worship, the worship aspect in prayer. <coughs> the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Yeah, how often? Continually. Continually. We got a little bit of work. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sydney, you got Psalm 100? Sam, what did I say? I look, I looked directly at you and said Sydney. <laughs> you guys do kind of look similar. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the year. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Yeah, so there's about like seven action verbs in there that says like, make a joyful noise, come into his presence, enter his gates, give Right, so there's an aspect of entering into that, um, and actually coming into the presence of the Lord. Uh, so, last one, Sydney, Psalm twenty-two, three. Yet you were holy, thrown on the praises of Israel. One more time. Yet you were holy, thrown on the praises of Israel. And throned all the praises of Israel. Right. So, uh, Scripture is using this uh, this metaphor of saying that like, as we praise and worship the Lord, he's actually seated on a throne of praise. Right? That's where he sits, high above. Um, so uh, we're going to skip that Ecclesiastes 5.1. Um, and then Adam, can you get uh, Luke 19.40? And then John Luke, Psalm 32.3. Yeah, that's an interesting verse. 
uh, that creation itself would cry out uh, if, you know, this is in context of uh, what we celebrated on Sunday, Palm Sunday, of them crying out, Hosanna in the highest, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, so, uh, like, worship, we don't like, here's an interesting concept. Uh, how many people would say they pray more uh, out loud than in their head? We got two people. Maybe? Anybody else? I can barely see uh, when anybody raises their hands. <laughs> Nobody wants to like raise their hand above like their shoulders. So we got a couple. Yeah. So how many people would say, let's see, I love taking polls. Uh, how many people would say that they pray more uh, <laughs> in their head than they do out loud? I probably would. I don't know. I'd probably say I do. Uh, that's a tough call. Well, okay. Decide within yourself and you figure that one out. Laugh out loud means? That's like pray out loud. Yeah. When you LOL. So we don't. Uh, so we don't look at like we don't sing worship songs regularly and corporately in our head, uh, right? We don't like pray and exalt God in our head. Like it has to be a physical incarnate embodiment and come out, right? Uh, like it's kind of like a common theme, I think, uh, among a lot of evangelical Christians say of like a lot of their prayers are in their heads. And I think there's actually power in speaking it, not just because like pneuma means breath and spirit. Uh, now, I don't think you can, in the faith message, speak things into existence. But like we don't sing worship songs in our head. Maybe some of us do. Uh, you know. Uh, although uh, it is totally legitimate to pray in your in your heart or spirit, we we just read on Thursday that uh, the unnamed servant of the Lord was clearly praying in his mind because it says when he had got done thinking these things and praying these things in his spirit or in his heart that uh, Rebecca came and filled up the water things right and approached him. So it's totally legitimate to do that, but I think uh, there is power. Um, in praying out loud uh, and practicalities. Number one is if I pray, in, if I just sit in my room by myself and I devoted maybe like five minutes to prayer or something nominal like that, maybe not nominal but small, uh, like in my head it's a lot easier to get off track. <laughs> uh, I start thinking of like, uh, so I could pray out loud with my mouth and pray things that might be meaningful while I'm still thinking of like what I'm going to eat later in my head, which uh, Lord knows whether that may or may not be effective. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Although having right attitudes is part of effective prayer. Uh, so probably not. Who knows? Uh, but I can't think two dichotomous things or two separate things in my head while I pray. So most of the time, and I'm just gauging this as I believe that all of you guys are more spiritual and more mature than me. I can't pray for five minutes in my head while staying concentrated. So uh, maybe you guys can do ten minutes. I don't know. Uh, so anyways, um, you know, Christ, when he came, he didn't say uh, that the rocks would like prayerfully, quietly pray and exalt within themselves Christ. 
he said they would cry out. They would make an exclamation of joy and praise if the people didn't do it, right? Like when we went back to the uh, you know, discussion we did on worship, like there has to be physical, manifest, incarnate things in our worship. Like, still surprised that like people are like, even in a poll of like who, who prays which way, like we can't raise our hand like more than our shoulders. Like this should be like a, a manifest sign of your worship. <laughs> it's not that hard. I mean, unless you have rotator cuff issues or something. Um, like singing loud. Like I could talk louder and I could talk quieter and that's, I could dictate, you know, whether I want to talk louder or quieter. I could dictate whether I want to talk more airy or use more of my diaphragm and talk more with a bass, right? Those, I have that ability. Uh, those things should become incarnate uh, in our worship and in our prayer life um, because they're scriptural, right? Like it says, like, bow down, fall on your face, raise your hands, uh, sing a new song, make, you know, songs of uh, shout for joy, right? Rejoice. Like, rejoicing isn't like, yippee, woo. It's like, woo, the Lord lives, he reigns. He's going to smash the heads of his enemies, which we'll talk about in precatory psalm. But uh, I'm really excited about that one. Um, you know, so our worship, so part of our worship, uh, uh, worship is part of our prayer, right? But praise and exaltation out loud is also. Uh, so uh, who's got, is it Adam or is it John Luke? You got uh, Psalm 32, verse 3. 32, 3. Okay. This is NASB. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Yeah, when I kept silent. And about, now he's talking specifically about confession, which that's another type of prayer that we didn't necessarily list on here. Uh, you know, it is out loud, right? Like James 5, 17 says, confess your sins to one another. Like, I wish it was like, and that has to come out of your mouth. It has to be breath, right? I wish I could be like, man, I really got to admit to Byron something, how I sinned against him, and I'll confess it to him, but I'll just do it in my mind. And we'll just, like, stare at each other, and I hope he'll get it. But he'll probably just think I'm really weird in reality, <laughs> right? There has to be uh, incarnate manifestation. You have to use your breath, your spirit, right? Same thing with praise and exaltation. Um, so, uh, let's move on. Uh, Jonathan, can you read those next two, both Psalm 34, 3 and 69, 30? We can just read those both together. Right, if we're going to do it together, it has to be out loud, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Has anybody been part of those like really awkward prayer meetings? Uh, or you've been like invited to a, a prayer meeting or something, so you assume that people are going to pray, and it's just like silent prayer for like an hour, and you end up just like hoping nobody sees you playing on your phone or something. <laughs> I've been there, been there, done that. Anyways. Uh, All right, so worship, praise, exaltation, uh, magnifying, exalting, lifting the name of the Lord. So uh, if you look at that prayer sheet uh, or the examples of effective prayers in Scripture, 
most of those start with like praise and glorification, magnification, exaltation of God. And I think that's appropriate in our patterns of prayer. You know, I, you know, I don't do anything perfectly. I hardly do anything well, but sometimes I get some things right <laughs> uh, or seem to be right. And I try, even if I don't feel like it, uh, which really sets a tone for prayer, instead of jumping into like petitions and supplic supplications, um, is starting with like praise and exaltation of saying like, Lord, like your faithfulness, your steadfast love goes from one end to the other. You are high and lifted up. You are magnified. Uh, you're the one who created the whole earth by the word. Uh, and who upholds everything in his right hand. You are the one whom all things were made by, for, and through, and nothing comes into existence except through you, and nothing uh, I could, and, you know, like, like keeping up uh, not empty prayers, but, you know, like just reciting scripture, you know, that, uh, that I know about, like, who the Lord is and how great he is and what wonderful and marvelous things that he's done, uh, especially in times when I don't, when I'm like, man, like, Lord, you don't seem that marvelous right now. It's kind of a, a time of trial and temptation. Uh, I think it's very appropriate to um, set an attitude of exaltation and magnification uh, to even start our prayers that way. And I try as much as possible to start with that. Oh, yeah. I read, I read about that. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, so it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, thanksgiving and supplication. Yeah, ending with like supplications is last. That's very, like the pattern in scripture, if you look through those examples, is uh, supplications are last. If not like, it like starts with magnification and adoration, and then it goes through some things, and then supplication, and then it goes through like adoration again. <laughs> because that's what it's primarily about, uh, to be centered on God, right? So does that make sense? So we're kind of putting uh, two to three different concepts in that number two of worship, praise, and exaltation, not just in musical worship, but in our patterns for prayer, right? So number three, uh, which could be two again, petitions or supplications with uh, thanksgiving. So it's very likely that you could thank God without asking God for something, which is why those could be two, but very uh, often in Scripture, uh, whenever there's like a supplication or a petition, which is either asking something for yourself or for another, uh, it is coupled with thanksgiving um, of the current situation, whatever they're in, right? So, uh, and that's trust and faith and contentment, trust, faith, and contentment versus anxious coveting. Right, so when you're asking, when you have a petition for the Lord of a specific need or something, um, with when you couple that with like Thanksgiving, which produces contentment, that uh, fights—that's a physical way, uh, you know. For I say that's a physical incarnate way for in the spiritual realm or your spirit to fight against anxiousness and coveting, right? Uh, like I'm sure a lot of single brothers pray for a wife every day. Uh, 
So you, you guys didn't think that was funny as Josiah and I apparently thought that was funny. That's probably just a real reality uh, of single brothers praying for a wife every day. Uh, you could do that out of faith with contentment and thanksgiving, uh, which is a legitimate prayer of like, Lord, thank you for the singleness and thank you for the lot that you have in my current life uh, versus like, Lord, I just really want a wife and your word says that if you can't control your urges, just get married and... I'll just marry the next girl that comes by. <laughs> right? Which would be like anxious coveting, you know, based off of what you, uh, your felt needs versus um, contentment with where the Lord has you or the sovereignty and providence of God, uh, which should conduce, produce contentment and faith, which is, you know, uh, active and obedient, right? So, uh, where are we at? Christine, uh, you want to read, um, if you just want to read uh, that on the paper, 1 Timothy 2.1, Philippians 4.6, and uh, Colossians 1.3. We'll, we'll leave that last one. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we're like kind of in our uh, individualistic mindsets of, uh, like I instantly want to jump into uh, supplications and petitions of like, I got this need, like Lord. Uh, but, uh, and sometimes I'm even in a religious way being like, Lord praise you, you're so high and mighty. Thank you for all you've done. You're so great and mighty. Please, <laughs> like, I'm just trying to like keep up these prayers, just like the Pharisees, to get to supplications, right? Because that's our natural human, you know, fallen nature tendency is to just want to receive from God uh, something that we know or may be out of our control. Uh, we probably have some degree of honesty that it's out of our control, or we wouldn't be praying, <laughs> right? So, but those are, are most of the time uh, put together with Thanksgiving. So. Um, I had a little bit of a chart at one point where the pattern I would follow uh, would be like praise and adoration, or like the adoration, the praise, the magnification, then thanksgiving, uh, then repentance and confession, and then like petitions would usually be like fall later down, right? Because we're going to look at, or we could look at biblically that those petitions, um, even the intercessory petitions, are lastly on the list for those in scripture praying right but it's always coupled with thanksgiving uh which negates or would have to uh, denote that god's sovereignty and providence right if we uh keep at the forefront of our mind romans eight twenty eight, uh for we know that all things work according uh together. together for good for those who are called according to his purpose right so if we know that we are called by god all things work together for our good according to God's purpose, even persecution, even uh, whatever, whatever it is, right? Um, because God is sovereign, he is in control, and he is providential, he is providing for you and has brought you to a very specific uh, time in life, a very specific, uh, you know, he gave you your parents, he gave you your brothers and sisters, he gave you your professor, uh, he gave you your church, your pastor, 
he gave you your brothers uh, in your household, your sisters in your household. Uh, like he gave you all of that providentially to create in you uh, his will, which he wanted to create. So that's a pretty good reason to be thankful. Uh, you know, you start to get, like that's where the anxiousness and, and coveting comes in. Uh, you know, I believe is when you get away from that, like you can't be, like if you don't have God's sovereignty and providence at the forefront of your mind, uh, that he's like in a non-deterministic way uh, that you still have to act and speak and do and be obedient, uh, then that's where like the anxiousness comes in of like, oh my God, like, What's going to happen? Like, uh, you know, uh, I could think of like the more sinful times of my life where the Lord was clearly calling me to repentance and I was praying against God's like clear judgment. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, of like, Lord, and I was like bargaining with God, like, Lord, if you do this, uh, if you let me keep my job, I promise I'll do this for you and I'll serve you forever. And it's like, well, it didn't work out that way because, uh, uh, not just because I was anxious and nervous, but I didn't want God's judgment, and I wasn't. Didn't, I, didn't, I definitely didn't have a mind of God's providence that would bring about glory for His will, and was good for me. <laughs> I thought what was good for me was something else. Uh, so, all right, now let's head to the like. But most people know about petitions and supplications and and prayers of thanksgiving. It's another thing to, you know, implement those things. Um, into our daily life in prayer. Like even on our, uh, I once mentally took a note of our Friday Night Fellowship. This was a few years ago. And it was like, uh, you know, this was kind of funny because I was going through uh, pretty much this series two years ago or something and listening to a podcast on prayer and the Lord was, I feel as if the Lord was really calling me to more devoted prayer and biblical prayer and and a life of prayer. Uh, you know, so I started to examine like our Friday night fellowship and I did it like one week or two weeks in a row. And like, it was all just petitions. (laughs) It was like everybody petitioning one thing after another, uh, not necessarily organized for any, uh, you know, from my limited perspective, uh, geared towards like the will of God and the kingdom coming on. It was like, you know, please help this person with cancer, which is good, good things to pray, but please help my cat. I think literally somebody prayed for their cat, which was the last straw. (laughs) I know it's not the will of God for cats to be in heaven. I know that was certain. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, Pray for your cat. Lay lay hands on them. If you need someone to lay two hands on them, I'll I'll come over. (laughs) Deanna, don't shake your head at that one. That was a good one. All right, let's move on. Oh, oh, let's finish this real quick. You know, just uh, uh, just on the petitions and supplications, James four two, uh, B through three says, "You do not have because you do not ask." Um, and then where are we at, Deanna? Uh, why don't you read John fifteen sixteen and then uh, Teresa? Can you read First John five? 14 to 15, because these are actually big points in petitions and supplications, because we tend, uh, if we're not rooted in reading Scripture meditatively and knowing the will of God and what is the will of God and what isn't the will of God, then we are wasting our petitions and we're wasting our breath and we're wasting our prayer life. But also, if you do not, you don't have because you don't ask. 
<laughs> right? That's a that's a clear command and that's a clear principle in scripture, right? How many people have heard a faith message that, like, if you just end your prayers in, in the name of Jesus, then you'll have what you asked for? Uh, once, once is good enough. You heard it. Right? We've all heard something to that effect. Uh, so who knows what, like, what, what he means by if you ask anything in my name. Yeah, how do we know that? Ooh. Well, uh, that's true. But how do we know that doesn't mean just to end your prayers in Jesus' name? We do find that in the Word. So, Deanna, read the first verse of that. uh, Or just, yeah, the first verse of 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Keep going. Yeah. So he doesn't say, like, I appointed you to bear fruit and just you'll get whatever you receive uh, and your fruit will remain, but and just pray whatever you want in the name of Jesus and you'll get it. You'll get health, wealth, and prosperity. <laughs> That's not what he says. It's in direct context for fruit, bearing fruit for Christ's kingdom, right? If you read the whole of chapter 15, uh, for abiding in Christ and it's for his purposes because he uh, is the... Uh, root, we are the branches. Is that what it says in 15? He is the vine, we are the branches. Uh, right? So it's his purpose to bear his fruit. Right? So, uh, now I, d- I don't think that means that you can't pray for uh, supposedly nominal things. You know, I remember, you know, I think uh, you could pray things that to me, you could be praying for your cat, and to me that might seem silly, but that's in my fleshly, sinful silly human nature, but you could really care for your cat, and it says the righteous person, or the good man even cares for his beast. (laughs) Right? That's a real thing that I have to wrestle in scripture with all the time. (laughs) That's When I see, like, tons of cats in East Dayton, and they're just sitting there in the road, (laughs) (laughs) and I want to just pick them up gently. And move it. I want to stop my car, right? I forgot. I'm sorry, Amber. I'm sure you feel differently about most cats than you do about the cats in East Dayton. True. Okay, true. There's some validity to East Dayton cats. But they're still a beast, right? So you still have to treat them righteously. And so there's still that, uh, you know, um, those ideas in Scripture. So, uh, but you know, what, what might seem silly to me. Uh, might not actually be silly. Like, I remember this was probably like two or three years ago. Uh, Mariah and I, uh, my oldest daughter, who's now 13, she might have been like 9 or 10 or 11 or 12, I don't know. Uh, it all blends together when you get as old as I am. Uh, we were walking, and, you know, I constantly try to think of things that would like increase her faith and her trust in God to see God as not like an arbitrary, mean father that just wants uh, her to follow the rules and seem good on the outside, but to develop a love and a trust for God. So I remember uh, walking. uh, We normally go, or in the summer, we walk a lot outside um, and just go for, like, nighttime walks because she doesn't normally get to go outside at night, you know, and not walk around the neighborhood or the woods or something and do something, uh, get out of the house or whatever. 
So I remember we were walking once and she was like, she said something about like a shooting star. She wanted to see one or something. I said, well, the Lord's the Lord of all creation. We should pray to him. Uh, and we prayed, uh, we were just like, Lord, uh, we pray that we would see a shooting star and we'd magnify you and your beauty of creation. And I looked up not two seconds later and there was like two or three shooting stars. And I was like, oh my God, Mariah, did you see that? <laughs> and she's like, no. I was like, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I was like, well, if we pray for something, we should probably like, you know, act in faith and like look up. Uh, so we prayed again, uh, and we're like, Lord, pray the same thing. And it wasn't, you know, it was less than a minute later, and there was like more shooting stars. Uh, and you know, it was great. Yeah, and she saw it that time. Um, you know, just like a kind of small, somewhat silly example of like. You know, that's not something uh, that's going to uh, necessarily advance the kingdom of God on earth and get uh, our wicked congressmen to obey the law of God or people to be, you know, renewed in the spirit of Christ. But it may have to some degree lifted my daughter's faith and trust and see the love of the Father. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what was going inside her heart at that time. But it might seem arbitrary to someone, but not to everyone else. So, but you, but you can't, you won't have unless you, unless you ask. Uh, so real quick, uh, Teresa, 1 John five fourteen to 15. ESV. And this is the confidence that we have toward this, that we have asked of him. Yeah, that's pretty, com- like, Apostle John's pretty confident. <laughs> so how do we know the will of God? Scripture, there we go. Uh, the primary, right, primary source of knowledge and uh, how we find the will of God. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, ah, that's, never mind. We don't have to get into that. We don't have to get into actual uh, gospel, how to share the gospel. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. But, you know, it's pretty astounding when he says, whatever you ask in my name... Uh, know that you have, and whatever you ask according to the will, be certain that you'll receive it. So you have to like actually know the will and heart of God and what his plans are for the earth, which he says uh, you will know if you're a friend of God, because he reveals those things in his scripture uh, through his spirit and to and through the church. Right? So, uh, you know, just emphasizing like uh, anti-faith message uh, but pro, like, you know, just as uh, the third commandment is don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, doesn't just mean, like, don't say, oh, my God. Uh, it means, like, don't take the name of Christ without acting in an appropriate manner. Right? I always tell the kids in the catechism class, you can't say you're a Christian and go punching people in the face and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, so just as asking that you receive things in the name of Christ is asking things according to his will, according to his word, right? All right, let's move on. Let's move on from petitions and thanksgiving. Spiritual warfare, all right, which could be, uh, we're going to talk about imprecatory, imprecatory, I keep saying imprecatory, is that even a word? I said it like eight times today, probably not. Imprecatory, yeah, <laughs> uh, which is kind of like what I am. Uh, so imprecatory, 
prayers or the imprecatory psalms in general, uh, spiritual warfare, and like you could classify these as two different things, but I'm just putting them in, uh, lumping them as one in some way. But let's uh, handle the spiritual aspect of it as far as demonic strongholds, angels, demons, the kingdom of darkness. So this is, uh, you know, so so far in these ways of of prayer, we're, we're talking about like meditating on scripture. This is like a rejuvenation of deeper knowledge of petitions, prayers, exalting and petitions, asking specific things. But now we're talking about like combat. We're talking about like aggressive offense. Uh, none of these other ones were necessarily defense, but this is uh, a direct offense, right? Ag- and aggressive. This is the army of God uh, proclaiming in heaven and on earth, right? Think of, uh, well, we're going to read selections from Ephesians 6. So, Melody, would you read that section there uh, on Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and then, Daniel, can you get uh, Ephesians three ten ready? Other Daniel, yeah. Oh, that one. Not, Not yet. You can get it ready. I got a bad ear. Yeah, it's all right. All right, go ahead, Melody. Yeah, so uh, a lot of those things that he lists helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, we go through the whole thing, belt of truth. Shield of faith, uh, shoes, yeah, shoes shod with the feet, on your feet with the gospel of peace. Uh, and the only offensive one is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? But uh, it's in context of uh, someone in battle, right? Uh, you can't win a, if you're all offense, you won't win the battle. And if you're all defense, you won't win the battle. Uh, if you're never offense, you'll never win the battle. Uh, it's literally impossible. Um, but, you know, so like in spiritual warfare, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but rulers, principalities, you know, demonic strongholds in heavenly places. So uh, if we're not regularly praying in that type of way, in an offensive manner, how would we expect to get victory? We won't, right? Uh, there's a lot of things we're going to examine, especially when we get to imprecatory prayers, um, about that we, we actually, it's wise, and uh, not just wise, but biblical, that we need to be ready for looking to the future because of the predicament that uh, the church has allowed itself to get it to, get itself in here in the West. Um, but we need to know... Uh, How do we restore all things? How do we, uh, you know, in this context, how do we pray and what are we praying for in a specific context of within, you know, our current region of uh, Dayton and the Miami Valley of what are the principalities at large, right? There's a, uh, like there's probably a spiritual reason to some degree, not just our sin nature of why uh, heroin has such a why Dayton is like the number one uh, source of heroin overdoses. Mm-hmm. You know, part of that is in the natural sense, 
of what our churches are preaching and what our uh, and the discipleship and methods we're using. Part of that isn't a natural, uh, you know, but then then the other part is in the spiritual, that there's, uh, just as plainly as it says, um, forces of wickedness in heavenly places, uh, in principalities, in regions. Um, who knows, uh, I think it's in Kings, or no, it's in Isaiah or Kings, uh, somewhere in the Old Testament where uh, he was fighting against the king of Assyria for 10 days. It was, a, it was an angel. King of Persia. That's close. The prince. Okay. Uh, well, no, like, and it was an angel of the Lord, right? That was fighting against him. Like, no uh, mere human can fight against the angel, an angel of the Lord for like 10 days, right? We're talking about like demonic strongholds uh, of the satanic kingdom that control areas. That's a reality that scripture puts out, right? So we need to know how to pray against those things. We need to have wise enough uh, discernment in our area uh, of what those are, right? We need to be sensitive to the spirit and pray in such a way that we're fighting those things, not just like nebulous things, right? Not just nebulous, like we could, we could pray like your kingdom come, Lord, over and over a thousand times uh, and say the same thing. Uh, that could be effective, but the prayers put out in Scripture are much more deep than that, right? So, um, let's go to Ephesians 3.10, just a little bit earlier. Uh, go back a couple verses and go forward a couple verses in that one. Uh, I have to look at it to see exactly... Yeah, that looks good. This gospel I was made a minister according to the gift that I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Yeah, so he's saying uh, in preaching to the Gentiles in this grace of God that was given to him to make known the plan of God, the mystery of God from eternity past uh, into real places that by the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known in heavenly places. Right? That's part of the church's job, uh, is to be the manifold, the many uh, intake wisdom of God. And that, uh, you know, in the spiritual realm speaking, uh, would take note of that, right? So, uh, who was I? I was talking with somebody last night about community. Um, and that, uh, like, Satan has no, like, there was, like, a real, uh, first song, like, there is a real enemy, there is a real kingdom of darkness, there is a real Satan, there is a real, like, prince and ruler uh, and hierarchy within the satanic kingdom, and uh, they have no need to even attack and go after a Christian who's not in community. <laughs> Why would they? They already won. <laughs> right? Uh the same thing, like, we would expect to see some level of opposition. Like, don't be, you know, uh, uh, don't be unaware of the schemes of the enemy, right? Which I think is in Second Corinthians, or maybe First Corinthians. 
of we would expect as like a praying church that enters into spiritual warfare to see more opposition, to see a heightened spiritual climate, right? That would be, uh, I would think, from a military standpoint, uh, you know, something to think about. Uh, I think Dan's the only one that's been in the military, but last time I checked, uh, although I've never been in the military, Sam, Sam was in the military, uh, that's right. Oh, and, and Adam. Uh, so we got a couple. Anyways, a few. Um, anybody else in the military that I'm forgetting? Okay. Uh, so last time I checked, the enemy, or even us as uh, adversaries, are more concerned with the people who are attacking us than the people who are not. Right? So, right? Uh Right, right. So, uh, like, uh, we are at war, right? We are guaranteed victory, you know, first and foremost. Uh, and we are told how we're going to do that. Um, and we are told that we should be praying into those things. Uh, but we would expect some kind of heightened spiritual warfare when we begin praying in a spiritual warfare way, which is hard for a corporate body or individual to maintain. It's hard for an individual to maintain without a corporate body, uh, and it's hard for a corporate body to maintain without individually lifting each other up. <laughs> so that's part of, uh, you know, as we implement these things and we pray more biblically and on the offense uh, that we experience more spiritual warfare against ourselves because we're attacking more. So that's in the spiritual realm. Does that make sense to everybody? Is there any questions? All right, let's talk about imprecatory prayers, uh, a.k.a. praying the covenants of God, also known as covenant lawsuit. So uh, it's a very prominent theme throughout the Old Testament. Anybody from any theological background uh, agrees that the prophets were bringing against Israel covenant lawsuits due to their disobedience and rejection of God's law, which is a rejection of God, which is having a heart far from him. Right? So, uh, where are we at? All right, Abigail, you get to read the imprecatory, imprecatory psalm, uh, but read it loud. And so, here's what I want everyone to think. Okay, uh, we're going to go straight to application. <coughs> think about America as we read this psalm. This, obviously, in context, is not talking about America. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> Some people believe that there's parts of the Bible that only talk about it that's like, this is America. And I'm like, well, good luck. Uh, so, but I do want you guys to think about, like, would this apply to our current American culture? Uh, read the first line, and I just want to clarify one word in there, depending on what version you're reading. Just the first line. So gods, does, who knows what gods he's talking about? Does it say who's, who's the psalmist? Is this David? Okay. What are gods? Little g. But what are they? He's talking about the judges, aren't The judges, the civil magistrates. These are people in court officials. All right? So we're not talking about, like, idols. We're not talking about, like, Baal. We're talking about people, court officials in charge of the government ruling body to dictate justice and righteousness and punishment, right? Okay, so start over. I just want to clarify that. 
Think about America. Ah, so that first part, does anybody think that sounds remotely familiar in our culture? Uh, do you judge the children of man uprightly? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, in their hearts, do they devise wrong? And in their hands, deal out violence on earth? It's for a large part, uh, you know, 61 million people dead by the hands and approval, uh, that's the unborn children, uh, since 1973, that's a little violent. Uh, do they judge, do our current court system judge uh, according to God's standards of what's right and wrong? No. Uh, they make up their own laws of what's right and wrong. Uh, gay mirage is a thing, right? Uh, abortion, clearly, uh, is a horrendous thing that, you know, uh, Republican, Democrat, nobody is really fighting against it. Uh, it's not like a big issue for Republicans, uh, which is just another way to be in office. There's no like, there's like absolutely nobody in office uh, at a state or national level anymore, at least that I know of or have seen since I've been born, that has any like altruistic uh, ideas of like just wanting to make the world a better place. It's about power, it's a business, it's about fame and money, right? That's, uh, that's why we have lobbyists. Like lobbying is a thing, <laughs> that's legal. <laughs> like is that dealing out justice rightly? So, uh, so everybody's with me so far. Everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, we get to the point where, so, <laughs> Uh, are there imprecatory psalms for today is the question. It's not, so it's not a question of like whether our current culture or situation mimics this particular psalm. The question is, like, uh, let's deal with the false dichotomy right away. In uh, Luke 6.26, it says, pray for those, bless those who persecute you and pray for your enemies. Wait a minute, in the new covenant, do we now... Uh, only wrestle against flesh and blood and that spiritual warfare, these imprecatory psalms, even though it was like the civil magistrates, do we just pray against the spiritual realms? Daniel, you say no. Well, it's, it's for their own good to pray to, for them to stop their iniquity and God's covenant has to change. Yeah, God's, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, Every covenant from the beginning covenant, even before the Adamic covenant, the eternal covenant, mimics the same covenant with different aspects all throughout, right? The new covenant's an even better covenant that we have the law written on our hearts and on our minds and we're enabled to obey it and do it and that the gospel will be preached by every believer into every square inch of the earth. It's a pretty good covenant. Uh, and that nations will stream to us because we have, as Isaiah 2 says, does anybody know Isaiah 2, Micah 4, that the nations will stream to us because the law of God. from us comes forth the law, right? Because we have the law of God. So what did we think would happen if we neglected the law of God? We're in the same, we're in the boat that we should be in, right? Just within our current culture. So, uh, but he prays like, so David prays specifically that these judges would uh, get their teeth smashed, 
<laughs> right? But I thought we were supposed to like love our enemies and do good to them. Right, it is. Uh, Yeah, uh, you know, there's different uh, principles. From what I've found, most theologians are hesitant to answer this question of whether we should pray the imprecatory psalms against people. <laughs> They're very hesitant to answer this question uh, because uh, I think uh, it's a little bit deeper um, than just a yes or no, and it takes time, but you have to also understand you know, in the New Covenant, yeah, you should uh, bless those who persecute you. You should pray those who pr pray for those who are your enemies, right? Uh, even if that's the state, and you should still, like, you have to hold this in divine tension of being able to pray, like, like, I, like I would, uh, who remembers when Osama bin Laden got killed? Uh, there was, like, the big, the mass majority of evangelicals were like, don't rejoice when your enemy falls, posting those verses, but I was like, heck yeah, we finally like killed an evil person. He finally got justice. I'm not happy that you know Osama bin Laden, to some degree, is separated from Christ from all eternity, but like, he's a terrorist. Why wouldn't we rejoice? Like, the Proverbs say that the righteous rejoice when the wicked die. <laughs> yeah, when the wicked perish, there's a when, joyful shouting. Yeah, there's a joyful shouting. Hip, hip, hooray! Oh, like Saddam Hussein when he got overthrown and killed and they tore his, like, we don't say, oh man, I'm really sad for him today. Like, he was, although he was a really ruthless uh, dictator and killed my brothers and my wife and children, right? It's like the wicked have finally gotten what is right and just. And not even that. Like, they didn't even get justice. God showed them mercy and grace uh, to a large degree. Right, like if uh, I think uh, you know, if, uh, well, that's too controversial. Uh, <laughs> of what is what is justice and what is not, but um, yeah, because you guys, we have to hold this in divine tension, and we actually are because of like what were all the what were the prophets doing, uh, and all throughout the Old Testament, they were bringing a covenant lawsuit against Israel because of their injustice neglection of God's word because their hearts were far from God, right? Which were laying out things like uh, Moloch worship, Baal worship, right? They were killing their kids. They were prostituting kids. They were having temple prostitutes. Uh, they were stealing. There was, like, it was, it was wild. The prophets don't ever go to other nations and, like, accuse, and, like, God. Uh, tell them of judgments that are coming upon them, do they? I mean, usually yes. the prophets tell uh, them. Daniel, he was in, although he was in exile, right. he was still a prophet. Okay. Uh, who is it? Oh, Jonah. Jonah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jonah's, yeah, Jonah's a good one. Um, yeah, that's, that's part of the prophetic witness is right. uh, going out and claiming okay. new land. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, but most of the time of what we see is, you know, uh, holding uh, the covenant lawsuit against God's own people. So 
Uh, now, I don't think you should, like, if someone cuts you off in uh, traffic, I don't think you should start praying in precatory prayers. God smash their teeth and smite their generations. <laughs> I think that's... Uh, right? and, it's like the... Uh, like the uh, in the Gospels, when, uh, is it James and John or something? Yeah, James and John, the... Going to call fire from heaven on the Yeah, town. so there is a divine tension, I think, of where <laughs> you could pray for your enemies, bless them, and pray for them, and you can also pray imprecatory prayers for them at the same time. Like, I would uh, totally, uh, you know, as wicked as our state is, you know, with just the issue of abortion and to find out what that really is and what's really going on, if it took, like, uh, a huge judgment from God in physical means by uh, affecting, you know, uh, the gods, you know, quotation, the, the Congress, the Senate, uh, to save millions more lives because they already have the judgment of God on them because they're already in positions of power, uh, <clears throat> So be it. I think that would be a godly thing. Right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think he does. Uh, in certain, in some cases, we see clearly in Scripture that he definitely does well. Um, so, Amber, can you read uh, a couple passages in Matthew? Matthew 16, 18 and 19, and Matthew 18, 18. Yeah, so uh, I think the Greek, Greek verb tenses in the Matthew 16 is what if you uh, have been being bound will have been being bound in heaven. It's saying that like whatever you continue to bind and have bound will continue to can be loosed and bound on heaven and earth, right? And that's when two or three people sit in agreement in uh, chapter 18 and that's in direct context of the church being built and storming the gates of hell in chapter 16. Uh, and that's part of what we're doing and what we're called to be as the church, right? That's physically played out in 1 Corinthians 5 when the sexually immoral person um, you know, who's having sex with his stepmother is confronted and he says, uh, purge the evil from among you when you guys gather together uh, I'll be with you in spirit to hand the person over to Satan. That's pretty, man, you can't say that in, you can't say that, Paul? <laughs> Cast them out of church, they're not welcome. Use uh, church discipline and hand them over to Satan. Right? That's pretty rough. Uh, so, you know, what we're called to as the church is to... Uh, uh, pray things, you know, in, you know, specifically in these in, in precatory ways in prayers of, you know, calling down uh, the reign of heaven onto earth. And this is in quotations. This isn't the message of faith. Praying things into existence. Uh, that includes judgments of God. Uh, if you look at the, I'm currently listening to a very, very long series of podcasts on Revelation in light of one of the views is that the entire book of Revelation is a covenant lawsuit against the Jews. 
And it's their, although Jesus had his covenant lawsuit and proclaimed those things, and uh, due to lack of uh, time, look at Matthew 23 or Luke 23. Uh, Jesus prayed in precatory prayers, woe to you, woe to you, right? Jesus prayed these type of things. Uh, and he had a covenant lawsuit against Israel, against Jerusalem. Um, and just to mention, you know, the book of Revelation starts with people sitting in courts, elders, uh, with Christ being seated on his throne room. And uh, a big portion of Revelation is the church's covenant lawsuit praying that against uh, the Jews and, and Rome, the beast, essentially. Uh, so read Revelation again from that standpoint. But that's what we have to be prepared for. If we need to know how to bring a covenant lawsuit against uh, a wicked, idolatrous, evil uh, nation with evil people uh, rejecting God's law uh, and supplementing their own righteousness, calling what's evil good and what's good evil, uh, we have to be prepared to pray God's covenant lawsuit uh, in the upcoming time. And that's going to be imprecatory prayers, right? So... Let's move on to the last one. Uh, I just like to hit that one a little bit more um, because most people shy away from it, and that's not like a common theme in most prayer meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, smash their teeth and smite their children. <laughs> so, all right, intercession. Last but certainly not least. Um, perhaps the most effective type of prayer, uh, certainly essential, uh, doing it in humility and honoring. All right, so first thing I would say is uh, we won't go through these, but uh, intercession means to, to stand in the gap, to go before the throne of God uh, for someone else. Uh, probably the best example for me to think of is Abraham in Genesis 18 uh, when Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. Abraham stands in the gap and intercedes. Uh, actually, probably Jesus is the best example I could think of. But thinking in the Old Testament, Abraham, uh, you know, for the righteous, which ended up just being Lot um, and his family, uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, that he stood in the gap, prayed uh, for those, right? So uh, probably the best way to understand intercessory prayer and the pattern of it is to do studies on it for yourself. So I've listed Abraham, Moses, uh, Daniel, Nehemiah, Ezra, and Christ in various uh, passages which you can study on your own. So um, just seven real quick principles uh, of an intercessor or intercessory prayer, uh, which is, this is probably good to study before uh, we have our all-night prayer meeting on the 30th yep. or 30, this Friday. 30th. This Friday. Um, so an intercessor is a watchman and a go-between. Uh, Jane, would you read uh, these? And I might interrupt as we go. Yeah, so uh, this is one I thought about today, and I hope Sydney doesn't mind. How long did your grandmother pray for you before you came to Christ? Possibly before my, or possibly well, all of my mother's and 
Uh, so several decades. I mean, she prayed, did, he, did he consider praying for our family in general before I was born? Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. I'm sure uh, it probably got bleak at some points. <laughs> right? Just like I'm sure, I don't know if my mom was praying for me. I think she might have been. But for a while, she probably thought it was pretty hopeless. <laughs> Especially right before dawn. It gets really dark. Um, but just sitting on point number five, uh, reminds God of his declared scriptural purposes. Uh, we see this in the Psalms and in... Uh, a lot of the patterns of the intercessors that we list here is that like, Lord, you said like it's okay to hold God to his word. Like Moses is a good one where uh, Moses is like, I'm going to just wipe out Israel and start over. And then Moses is like, hold on, Lord. Uh, like you said, you know, that you would bring this people up uh, from a mighty nation and it's for your glory, right? Like you had already said of what you're going to do, Lord. Uh, complete your purposes, you know, and what you have, and, and continue to show your steadfast love, your covenant faithfulness, and mercy, uh, lest the people, the nations around, see that you brought them out with a mighty hand and then smite them or hated them. Uh, right? Like reminding God of his scriptural purposes um, and that, you know, appeals for God for the sake of his reputation and name but perseveres until victory or deliverance is manifested. Uh, so here's a little homework assignment to couple with uh, the last point of you know, precatory prayers or covenant lawsuits. We all know the principle in Luke 18 of the persistent widow who prayed for justice, uh, you know, and the point is continue to pray, right? But uh, go back and look at that in light of God's covenant lawsuit against Jerusalem and Israel uh, and the need for justice and uh, how the persistent widow being the church uh, should be, you know, this is in direct context of the first century between uh, 33 AD and 70 or 68 AD uh, or 64 when the war started against Jerusalem, you know, Rome sacking Jerusalem of the need to continue to persevere until uh, victory or deliverance is manifested. I think we easily lose heart, uh, at least I do, uh, lose heart in prayer and be like, well, this is pointless. I haven't seen any change. And, you know, especially if you, uh, uh, for those people that like you really have a heart for and care for and know deeply, um, you know, uh, continue to persist. You know, an intercessor, continue to bridge the gap. Uh, be humble, uh, confess and repent, sympathize with those uh, weaknesses that, you know, if you're talking about a specific person that a specific person has, uh, and continue to pray. Right? Intercessory prayer is super powerful. All right. And I guess anybody got any? So does that make sense? You said Luke what again? 18? Luke 18. Yeah. It's like 1 through 18 or something. Uh, the parable of the persistent widow. Look at that in context of what Jesus is. Jesus is bringing this covenant lawsuit against Jerusalem, proclaiming destruction, uh, and then he goes straight into this parable of why they should be persistent in prayer, specifically for justice. Like so, a good. This would be just like a ad hoc, uh, uh, you know, intercessory uh, slash. Uh, covenant lawsuit prayer 
right? Like we could totally pray, uh, Lord, may your name be glorified. We as the church, I have personally sinned and rejected your law and enacting it in biblical ways into society, specifically in the church and proclaiming your goodness, your law, your mercy, and your greatness. I have failed, uh, yet we continue to persist in rejecting you, Lord. Uh, may your law be enacted. May you come against the Oberberfeld decision of Gay Mirage and enact uh, a holy covenant uh, through your people to restore the uh, site of marriage in America. May you pour out your word and your law in that area within the church so that nations would stream to the church, see your glory, and praise you. Like that would be like a somewhat... Uh, you know, intercessory prayer. That's just like an example of ways we can pray like that. So, does anybody want to say a short prayer to end us?